welcome to year two of the Funding Love podcast. I'm Mallory Elrod. And I'm Caitlin Duckworth. We are two adoptive moms that seek to love, support, and elevate all corners of the adoption triad, including adoptive families, adoptees, and birth parents. We do that through honest conversation with both expert and everyday voices about all things adoption and more all while running our nonprofit, Funding Love. We create post-adoption experiences that strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. We are Funding Love, the podcast. Hey, Funding Love fam. Welcome back to the Funding Love podcast. This is episode 74, and this week we have on returning guest, Kay Wilkoff. Kay is a foster mom, adoptive mom, and biological mom who works in Monroe County, New York to promote hope and help of the foster care parent community within her county. She is a co-chair of the Foster Parent Advisory Board in her county, and she has amazing things to say on this episode about the highs and the lows of foster care, about foster care reform, and how we can come alongside foster parents within our community by even just changing the culture of their story. We hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we do. Let's give it a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Kay. We are so, so glad you have decided to join us again. Thanks for having me, friend. Absolutely. You know, just to those listening, Kay was on episode nine, you guys, and we are on episode 74. So it is so fun to have her back. We were talking before we started to record and we're like, what episode were you on? We're like, nine single digits. What? And so now An we're on OG, 74. No. OG, yeah. one of our original guests. So I'm so glad that you're back. And also people who may not know, uh, you are one of my oldest friends that we go back to, I think like three years old, something of something of sorts. Yeah, that- we were little babes. Yep. We were little babies. Oh, I love that. So I don't mean oldest. You know, you know what I mean. My longest <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, we're the same age. We know. And same. here you both um, are on an adoption journey. How cool is that? Did you know when you were kids that yeah. you would be on similar parenting journeys? I don't, I don't know. Think I think so. I think it was something in the water because there's another friend that we had in our same We Care preschool that is also in a fo- – she's a foster adoptive wow. mom. Wow. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Love it. Um, something something in the water and yeah, who knows. But hey, we're so glad to have you back. Um, so give our listeners a little refresh of who you are. Tell us how you're connected to the adoption community and about your sweet little family. Yeah, I feel like there's so many touch points for me to be connected. Um, I've been licensed as a foster parent for a decade now, which seems insane. Um, it's not as long as some of our are really ancient foster parents in our county. We have, we've got some people going on like 35 years, which is wow. crazy town. Um, but it does feel like a long time. And I've also been licensed, my husband and I, in two different counties, two different states. Um, so I've experienced it in different ways, different systems. We started off as adoptive parents to our, we consider her kind of the leader of the pack. So we call her the eldest, our 10-year-old. I think when we recorded last, she was nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have two bio kiddos, five and three. And this last year, um, since actually our last recording, we uh, had a 16-year-old move in who's now 17. And she's out of foster care now, and we are her guardians. So we have been um, adoptive parents, bio parents, uh, foster parents, and now Guardian. Now guardians. Wow. Guardians. Yeah. Guardian, <laughs> Guardian parents. Guardians. Yeah. It's funny. Maya was just watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a new it's a new role for us, but Yeah, and um so y'all are up in Rochester, New York, which is Monroe County, which is you're in the county of Monroe in New York, and you are the co chair of the foster parent advisory board there. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah, is so, that? Like, what do y'all do there with that? Like, tell us about that. Cause I think that sounds super cool. Yeah, it is super cool. We just met as a board actually last night and it's been really, it's been encouraging. It's been life-giving to have conversations with other foster parents in the area, seasoned foster parents, some newer and collaborate mm-hmm. with the County. That's a unique opportunity to have some admin, um, the home finding supervisor. We've got some um, senior management on the board, and we all sit together and share this really vulnerable space to work things out together, communicate um, 
share personally, but also systemically how things are going, give each other feedback um, and just check in, like just, you know, break some bread together. Mm -hmm. And that's been useful, I think, for our local um, climate and our culture and the conversation and the things that are specific to us here in Monroe County. Um, So that's something that started about two years ago. And I've had the pleasure of walking alongside a friend here as co-chairs of that. Um, So yeah, some good, some good things happening here. And yeah, fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So back to the guardian thing, because we all know biological parent, adoptive parent, foster parent. Mm -hmm. So when with because you were just saying before, also, we hit record that like, this is a new thing for you. Like, you know, you have all of those titles, but like this guardian thing, navigating that um, because because she's only 17. And so she's been discharged from foster care, like you were saying, and now you're the the guardian. So, I mean, it just kind of sounds confusing, you know what I mean, for those who are just kind of hearing those facts. So talk to us what that is all about. Yeah, I think before we mentioned how every kid is different, every kid's journey is different. And I think for our kiddo, her walk through foster care was um, just a lot of challenge. And that impacted some of the mental health pieces. And she has some really great supports here. Um, Her therapist, her school counselor, um, the resources, the programs at school, friends, youth group, like so many things, even her piano teacher. Mm. Like, oh, cool. It's just incredible the things that have come together for her. And as her time in foster care was coming to a close, she really, um, with her age and looking at how close she is to finishing high school, determined that she wanted to self advocate to not move. Um, So the parent that the county was trying to, um, the county never wants to be involved longer than they need to be. And so they were legally looking at how do we withdraw and return to bio mom who lives out of state. Okay. And she really hasn't been in that space for years now. And um, we have a great relationship with bio mom, bio mom, when she comes to town to visit, will stay in our house. Um, And so we just, as a team, everybody who roots for her and loves her and is there for her all decided um, we could get on board with her plan to stay. And so, you know, that, it's not a perfect plan. No plan is perfect. Like her mom misses her and would love for her to come home. Um, but it's kind of in her mind, similar to kids who leave the nest around college age. You know, you go to school, you come home during holidays, or she's um, been able to visit over the summer. So, uh, so yeah, here we are doing guardianship so that she can stay in school here. And we're really excited because we adore her and she's like the coolest teenager ever. That's awesome. Um, which I guess is a little plug for people who are afraid to like foster jump teens, on a teenager yeah. foster teen situation. But um, we've done it a couple of times and this time around, I'm just like, it's amazing. She's the coolest kid. Oh, I love that. That is so cool. That is, mm-hmm. And it's really cool to see um, it, like the, every part of this puzzle kind of working together for her benefit and allowing yeah. her to, at th- since she's at this age of being able to self-advocate, kind of listening to really what she wants after yeah. this long journey and say, yeah. what is it, you know, and that everybody's supporting her in that. I mean, that's a really cool, that's a really cool mm-hmm. story. I think um, it's re- it's really important for a kid who maybe hasn't been listened to or hasn't been empowered in mm-hmm. being involved with some different systems to, yeah. in the end, feel like they have a sense of autonomy and control over their story. So this is part of why um, my husband and I are like, yeah, we're on board for this because it's healthy in so many ways for her journey. So now I have a little bit of a question. Um, I don't know if it's it's not off topic, but um, just to continue this part, I know we had other things we want to talk about, but when people say you age out of the foster care system, like what is that age to where even if they don't have people advocating for them or they don't have um, a bio parent to go home to, what is there a specific age or is it state by state? Or like, what does that mean when you've aged out of foster care? Yeah, I'm not sure if it differs state to state. I know here there's a window of time. So it really is case by case um, for what the child needs. So they there's so many resources that they look at independent living skills. And they would put them with a worker to really help set them up with what does it look like to exit foster care? They don't just like you turn 18 and you're okay. out on the street, right. you know, like there's a plan 
of where are you going to live? Are you going to work? Are you going to go to school? Like really setting kids up with, they do, they do like every kind of class, like budgeting and helping kids learn how to drive and like everything. Mm. So I have not walked through that personally with a kiddo. Um, the kiddo we had turned 18 in our house who was a parenting teen wasn't really interested in gaining some skills. She just Mm. wasn't in that place in her life. Um, but yes, there's definitely a transition plan for independent living. That's good to know. Not that every kid wants to use it, (laughs) (laughs) but there's, Mm -hmm. there's, there's planning available to the teenagers who have the, uh, the brain in the space to utilize it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, you know, we wanted you on, of course, today to talk about foster care. It's just a topic that Mallory and I do not feel like super comfortable talking about because we're just really not experts really whatsoever because we don't have that personal experience. So we really love to bring people on, obviously you. So um, I know a lot of people feel this way. And I've talked about this on the show and coming from somebody who has never taken the leap into foster care myself, you know, it, it 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 feels scary. Like when you think about it, I mean, I think there's so many things about it. Taking that leap is scary. And not to say that I'm necessarily scared, but when you talk about that topic, it it feels kind of scary to a lot of people. And I do hear that. Or like intimidating um, would be a word. Like it feels intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, and I I know it's a very beautiful thing. Obviously it, it is. I mean, I, I'm a huge advocate for it. Um but maybe it's just the unknown or whatever it is about the whole thing that feels scary. But I just want to ask you, what do you think being in it and being on this board and talking to so many people, what do you think it is? What is the rain, main reason people do hesitate to jump in into foster care? Because I know there's people, I would even say maybe I fall in this category of saying it is in my heart to one day want to do that. Like my heart is there, but I, I haven't taken that leap. And I know so many people are like, ah, oh, maybe when we're ready, I don't know, whatever, our life isn't, whatever, there's so many reasons. But what would you say for you is that sticking point for people? Yeah, um, I think what you were just saying of there's so many reasons. We did touch on that. If people go back to episode nine, I think at the tail end, we, yeah. we dive into some of the reasons and like overcoming those barriers or perceived yeah. barriers. Um but a little bit of what your question was related to fear. Yeah. I think that there are some specific um, things that come up for people when they associate some of their thoughts with foster care. And that is fear of the unknown. I know that's something I experienced a decade ago, even having been working professionally in the child protective system and knowing, okay, this is what the inside of the courtroom looks like and knowing the team's of which attorneys I'd be working with. Like I knew these people personally and I still had fear of the unknown because there's a lot that you don't have control of. So fear of having that lack of control. What is this going to look like for me? What is this going to look like for my family? Is there daycare? Do I pay for daycare? Can I afford that? Like, do you need to be a certain mold of family to be a good fit? Um, Feeling like you're enough of a, a resource or you have enough bandwidth. Um, I think sometimes foster care is not very planful mm. as other life transitions or we associate it as not being as planful. Mm-hmm. So just fear of that kind of chaos that you would be inviting into your life. But then I was really trying to break that down for myself today as I was thinking through some of what we might talk about. And um I was thinking about like a wedding. Mm-hmm. Like you go through all these months of planning and you put together what you hope something is going to be. And then one day you just have to take a leap. Like the wedding happens mm-hmm. and then you just you you just do it. Like you have to just sign the papers and walk down that aisle and smile at that person hoping that like this is it. Um, and I think it's similar for people's experience going through the licensing process and probably even not foster care, but like other forms of adoption. You go through the home study, you, you, you check off all those boxes, you go through that planning process season for however many months. And then one day you get a call and you have to make a choice of either you like take that leap or not. Yeah. But I think there's a fear associated with that unknown um, and not being able to have some positive um, storytelling about 
what, you know, anything we do in life, we usually have an envisioning of what that's going to be or a modeling of people who've done it before us. And I think really for a lot of people, um, they don't have foster parents that they know personally in their lives in close proximity where they've seen it on a very up close and personal and real kind of way. Um, or you, or even like accurate, right? Cause we see foster yeah. parent roles in movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like, well, is that reality or is that dramatized craziness? <laughs> like, what is this? Um, so having the modeling around us and having it be positive stories, um, that would be something to draw anybody into the role, right? Um, but because we have this fear, we don't have enough of that. I think that keeps people from taking action steps to try it because they may yeah. be really good at it and might be really fulfilling for yeah, a lot I, of people. I, I feel like a lot of things that uh, um, people, I mean, you're you're a great example of this and you can speak into this is I feel like maybe a fear of mine would be is if you already have um, like a biological family or not even that, but just a forever family in your home and you're bringing other children in the fear of disrupting that and maybe causing their children to feel a little bit chaotic and maybe not seen or I don't really know. I mean, if if as a, a mom, you try to think think through all of those things and that would that would probably be a genuine fear of mine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you have you have three kiddos in your home that are your forever family and you have brought in so many children through yeah. this. Um, so sp- if you could speak into that a little bit to maybe um, talk through that fear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked again in, in episode nine about the family being a mobile system. And how oh I love this yeah my daughter this. my daughter has um, still the the mobile from when she was a baby mm-hmm. with like paper birds and now it's downstairs in our playroom but when you add a piece onto your mobile everybody in the family system has to shift everybody feels what that's like because your roles do change a little bit um, you know I at the beginning it was talking about how our ten year old is what we consider our eldest the leader of the pack but we have a seventeen year old in our house. So what does that mean for her? She's always been the eldest and she still has eldest privileges in our household, but we've had to be intentional about keeping some of those pieces for her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though there's a teenager, which by the way, their dynamic is so cool and so special to watch and has been such a blessing to our family. So like, I think a lot of times there's those fears of the change, um, And we think as parents, we can plan it all out and compensate for things um, in our kid's life. Like you were saying, Caitlin, like how would that impact my kids? Yeah. Um, But ultimately, like we don't have control over every little thing and we have to trust God that he's got that. And also, um, you know, be prayerful about transitions and know that like there is there is times when taking on something isn't the right move and being mindful of what your limits are, what your skill set is, what your bandwidth is. Um, but also like not letting fear dictate what that's going to look like for you and for your family. I think every time we've taken a call, I've had a tinge of fear of like, should we really do this again? Cause we could just close, right. <laughs> like we could just right. close and I could like, I could take a nap yeah. or do anything <laughs> yeah, else. And be like, okay, well, <laughs> we did that. We did that good thing. Let's move on and do some other right. good thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but we haven't felt like the reasons why we chose to start fostering, um, that initial calling um, has changed. And so we just keep going. Um, and until those original like reasons, foundational reasons of why we chose to do this change, we're just going to keep doing it. Um, and we're not going to make those decisions out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think considering the dynamics with your kids in your household is wise, but also realize that like, we don't know, we can't, we can't control. I didn't know that my daughter was going to look up to this teenager the way she does. Yeah. And alt- like, she tries to dress like her now. And it's, <laughs> the, it's the cutest thing. It's the cutest thing. Aww. She's coming Aww. into her own as a 10 year old. And I'm just like, this is life. Like, this it's, is so cool. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something you're right, that if you would have let fear kind of control, you never would have been able to see something so special and beautiful kind of unfold. Um, right. And that Maya's never going to forget that. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's never going to forget that. And it will, it's molding her. And that's, and that is what, what greater thing for your child to see and be molded by than, than her parents and her family opening their home to this, this young teen girl that has then now become an influence for her. I mean, it's just the whole thing's so pretty. And if you would have let fear dictate, um, it's hard though. I mean, I say that so easily, but I do know that that is hard. It's not yeah. something that I'm just saying because I mean, I would have done it if it was that yeah. easy. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. not, it's, yeah. So, yeah, I think we can either say that we believe something or we can do it and back it up with our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we say that these kids matter and we have this skill set now to provide for them certain things like now that we've been doing this 10 years like I can parent a teenager pretty good like I'm I yeah I'm like pretty good at it now and (laughs) it's kind of crazy um but I can withhold that skill and not do it but it's so much better when I share that and I get so much once I get past that hump of fear there's so much reward on the other side um Mm -hmm. not just for her but for me and for my family um, and like what I was sharing with the dynamic between the kids. But I feel like when, um, when you take a kid in your home and you live out your belief system, like tangibly every day, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Like you're, you're, it's like you're forced into scripture every day. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, And that's, it's humbling and it's refining it's hard some days, but it's good. Like I never regret, I never regret the choice to say yes to a call. Mm. I love that. love that. Oh, that is so yeah. good. Cause I was going to say, if we're playing the game of like, Caitlin is like worried about the dynamic. Like if we're saying yeah. out loud, do your fears of entering into foster care and hers is like a, a dynamic with other children that live in the home. I feel like for me, I always just feel like I am not equipped. Like what if someone is placed with me with some sort of trauma or some sort of um, a special need or some sort of, um, I don't know, even just like a personality clash. And then like, I'm not a good fit and I'm not doing a good job. And I'm scared of like furthering any pain or hurt or, or, I don't know, not doing a good job at caring for them as they deserve to be cared for. I think that's literally my fear is that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to that parent that's just like afraid that I don't know if I would be good for, you know, or what if I mess up or say the wrong thing? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds like those kind of thoughts are you trying to be self-aware about Mm -hmm. what it is that you do bring and and being self-aware that like I might not be emotionally available in certain ways. Um, or I might, I might want to be like selfish sometimes. And I don't know if I'm ready to give up that part of my life. Um, but I think being self-aware and thinking through those things is the healthiest thing we can do before we say yes to anything like God calls us into. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that those are great thoughts to have Mm -hmm. and to consider and ultimately like press through them like, like challenge them. Some of them are valid and some, some are probably not. So break them down. Like where, where are they stemming from? Do the five whys. You ever do that? No, no. please tell me. Oh, yes. like, like in, man, in manufacturing processes, if you, if like, if a, <laughs> if a so part, funny. I know <laughs> if a part breaks and then you have to do like the five whys and mm-hmm. question like, okay, well, what led to this problem? And, you know, somebody slipped and broke something it's like well why did they slip because there was water on the floor but why was there water on the floor because the pipe broke but then why did the pipe break you know you have to go uh, back to yeah, the root yeah, yeah. oh I you get have it. To, yeah you have to go back to the root cause and I think sometimes we have to challenge our our thoughts and our thinking errors and uncover something else that's really there like with anger right we know that's just um there's something else behind it yeah and so what's the emotion that's causing that um, what's the behavior that's causing the emotion that's causing the anger? Um, so really, if we say we have a priority as a family, if we say we really want to be involved in foster care, and I really feel like my heart is drawn towards these kids. And I, every time I hear foster care come up, like there's something in my heart that's just like bubbling over and I want to do something in my lifestyle to address that heart tug. 
So you want your actions to match that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to become a foster parent, but like, what does that look like for you? Um, and if you keep meeting thinking errors and barriers of reasons why you can't do something about that, I think those are times to challenge your thought life. Yeah. I love that. That's great advice. Such great advice. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I also think with, with any any of the fears, to be honest with you, just to kind of wrap this, if you do feel like you're saying, Kay, that you have this this in your heart that just kind of keeps resurfacing, if for whatever reason, somebody says something, you see something, you're, whatever it is that you feel like foster care is in there, and you have like these kind of, I don't want to call them surface fears, but like these little fears that are just kind of the barrier, or maybe just like a reason to not do it today. Um, I think that's when you have to like step into like you and you and say about you and Ephraim, the why we're doing this, you know, like the true reason and the root foundation of why we're doing this and trust that the Lord has put this on your heart and he's going to see you through. And that's just kind of, I think would be the, would be ultimately, even if I'm speaking to myself, if, if I would come to that point of being like, this is what we have to say yes to, the Lord's going to see you through, he's going to make a way. So yeah, That's there's always going to be a distraction. There's always going to be always. a reason why you you don't have to do something. Or always. It's true. And eventually the reasons are just going to become excuses instead versus like right. actually a true. Uh, you can always find an excuse. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So um, we've talked about so many things already, but just like what would you consider your greatest joy in your foster care journey? What would you say is just like, man, this is awesome. This is just yeah. pure joy for me through this process, what would you say? Whether it be a moment or whether it be like a uh, a vague thing, whatever it is. I'm sure I could highlight moments, but I was going to say I love to feel useful. Mm. Like that's so life-giving to me to feel like somebody benefited from something I did. Yeah. I was useful to them. Like I made an impact here. And I think in the case of being a foster parent, like you're making – in many cases, in many instances, I've had like, like real solid data yeah. of making a lifelong impact. Like I don't have to theoretically guess that like in this last year, in this last year, this is crazy to say, Caitlin, but I saved a girl's life. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I, I rode in that ambulance with her. Like I, I, I saved her life. And mm. that's like literally what else what else should I be doing with my time like what what is more valuable for my bandwidth than that yeah um feeling useful is is life-giving and um and I think also there's so much joy that comes for me from staying connected with the kids um if they don't get to stay here forever last weekend we got to go to um some of the kiddos, there's a sibling set that lived with us that lives locally with their adoptive family. And they still send us Mother's Day and Father's Day cards. Oh, how precious Aww. is that? Yeah. And last weekend, last weekend, he had a birthday. And we're always invited to the birthday parties. And so all the kids get to play. And I just love seeing connected. I love getting to be more of like an aunt-uncle figure now and still getting to support and see them and think about their interests and buy them gifts. And um, having those bonus kids, um, seeing kids thrive not all the time but when they when they can in those little and big ways seeing that happen um, being a part of systems for them there was actually that specific sibling set the season that they were with us for two years was a big part of them getting things put in place to be successful in an adaptive home and a big part of that was like how do we make this IEP plan like let's beef it up let's get all these people on board and see these needs and I got to be a big advocate and part of putting that together. So that that for me is like, okay, I was back to being yeah. useful, right? Yeah. My skill set came into play in that season and that kid's yeah. life. Um, and I think we all have some sort of skill set to offer in some season in some kid's life. Um, but yeah, building the relationships, having kids have this whole other circle of family members that takes them in and loves them because when we when we take a kid in our home it's not just us that that kid is resourced by it's like all these grandparents yeah that are like hey we see you like we want to spoil you too um and then also like seeing kids um thrive with a new skill yeah any kind of any kind of growth big or small that is super super fun and of course brings lots of joy so 
Mm-hmm. It just kind of sounds, to be honest with you, like the whole thing brings you joy. I'm just going to say like from beginning <laughs> to end. And that, I mean, to me, I, I'm sitting here just like summing it up as you're talking. It, you just are filled with joy because it, you're still living your purpose here. Like, yeah, it's your purpose. Yeah, I was going to say the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you're still like living in this purpose and where the Lord has brought you and you're just continuing to say yes to him and there's just going to be filled with joy and blessings. So that is... That's cool that you're still feeling that and still experiencing that and that the blessings are continuing like generations. Like it's, it's going to go for these children, keep going. And how, like, how incredible that really is cool. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. So let, let's, let's go, let, yeah. let's take a turn for, go south. What's the hardest Flip part the other of the journey? Side. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Flip it. What would you say is the hardest part? Because let's just be real. I'm sure there are hard parts. Yeah. I, I think for me as a planner, the hardest thing I've had to really adjust to with this role as foster parent is the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to get a good caseworker? How long is this kid going to be in my home? Can we go on that trip together? Should I buy that plane ticket mm-hmm. for their seat? Are they going to come? You know, will I get to go see them when they go home? Mm-hmm. What is court going to look like? Um, there's a lot when you are trying to engage with a depressive system to accept about the role, because the role of foster parent has a lot of influence. Like we were just talking about like that lifelong impact. That's a huge influence you have in people's lives. But there's also like, sometimes it feels like no authority. Like I just had to email the superintendent of our school district to correct decisions of attorneys for our local school district because they weren't going to let my teenager come back to school in the fall Mm. because now she's out of foster care. And I was like, hold up, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. let's, let's get on the advocating hat because yeah, sometimes it just feels like there's just not a loud enough voice um, in the seat of foster parent. And I think that does depend on where you're at and and what your specific County has going on. Um, But I think kind of with some of the things we talked about, again, in episode nine, um, primarily when kids come into care, like initially starting out, the goal isn't about the foster parent or the foster family. Like you're you're a support parent. The -hmm. primary goal is to focus on the needs of this family that's struggling. And so that can be hard to sometimes have a voice in that position. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely a hard part of accepting this hat, this role for that season of the child's life is that uncertainty co-parenting with a family system that is dysfunctional maybe in some way. Um, I mean, there's a reason why that family system has been flagged, you know, to, to have the County come alongside and say, Hey, there's these baseline parenting things. There's these deficiencies that need to be worked on. Um, and so to then mm-hmm. engage with the family in some way can be challenging. Um, maybe a parent has no relational boundary skills. Maybe they're chronically bad at communicating um, or following through with the plan. Maybe their lifestyle is just more chaotic than for me. Like I said, I'm a planner. Yeah. If I put something on the calendar six months from, six months from now, like it's going to happen and I'm going to be there probably <laughs> within one or two minutes of when I scheduled it six months ago. Right. <laughs> but that is like a major life skill that not everybody has. Like not everybody has a calendar for one and they might be struggling with things in their lives where they just don't have that ability. Um, so meeting people where they're at and engaging mm-hmm. with them in a very personal way, like co-parenting, yeah, um, that can be really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even just like being such a planner and then getting a call about children that need a home or need a place to sit in your, that could be mm-hmm. disruptive. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, to me as a planner, not to say that that child isn't worth it, that's not what I mean. But you know that it's just as a planner, that can feel like all of the things like, I don't know, but I was supposed to do, but I had to do this was on the, uh, I feel like that would be a lot for me. And I'm not even yeah. that big of a planner, you know? Yeah. Letting right. the things go that don't really matter. Yeah. That's the so skill in key. and of itself, right? Yeah. Like, let it go. Like, yeah. yeah. Does it, does it really eternally matter? Does it? Right. Well, yeah. Most things don't. That's a valid <laughs> question. Not. Most right. things don't. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, 
So I had this thought, and this isn't really a question, but I did just kind of want to, I wrote it down because I didn't want to, it's just a good thing to talk about. And I wanted to chat with this with um, you and Mal. So I saw something on Instagram, and I don't know, do you guys follow Foster the Family blog? I do. Yeah. So I love their stuff. I just think it's always just a good page to, they always have good stuff. Um, And so there was this post and, you know, and there's like multiple slides and there's like words on each slide, whatever. So one of the slides said, okay, we may know what our kids' parents are now, but we don't know what they can be. Our God is a God who forgives and transforms. So basically, I think she's like reflecting on the struggle of knowing what some that some parents and moms have a struggle with addiction or poor life choices and whatever, but we need to believe that that isn't necessarily who they'll be in the future. Um, because this particular post that she was talking about is that she knew a birth mom now, a birth mom friend of hers now, who's a um, beautiful, successful um, uh, mom who is free of addiction and is um, a part of her church and a part of her community and serving. But what she the type of lifestyle she lived before is why she was a birth mom and why she was in that situation. But now, I, the reason I think about this is because as a foster parent or as even uh, an adoptive mom or whatever, you see these, you hear so many stories and these kids come to you with so much trauma. And a lot of that trauma is a d- direct reflection or from their parents something their parents have done or because of their addiction or because of whatever has a hold on them. And so it would be hard to not have this like resentful or almost angry view of their biological parent in those moments when you're dealing with this child who has this trauma. But it, it you have to kind of like, you're just kind of like you're saying, have like an eternal love and eternal mindset for these people, knowing that God can restore them because this isn't who they probably hopefully won't be forever like that it would just it kind of stopped me because i was like oh my gosh this has to be one of those things in foster care especially when you have all these kids come through that you're like oh man my heart is loving loves these feels for them and then to turn and see where they come from and knowing that the goal is to reunify would kind of bring sometimes anger in in that place for me as i'm thinking i'm outside looking in but i don't know i just want your thoughts on this i know that was a lot of words and it probably came across very Mm -hmm. confusing but i think y'all know what i'm talking about yeah, I got you. I yeah, got you. For sure. Totally. And we have seen this happen. We have experienced this. Yeah. Um, and it's humbling because who am I mm-hmm. to determine someone else's future? Like I'm not God and I'm not gonna play God. I it's my job to be a hope giver, right? Right. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm here to to help a child's story, but part of that is sharing that hope. And, mm-hmm. and that means with the family too. And yeah. they, mm-hmm. you're meeting them on their worst day. Like this is their worst. This is probably their lowest low. Like when they're, when their kid is removed from their care, that's probably their lowest low. So who am I to judge that person on their worst day? Like, and then cast their future and say like, they're never going to recover from this and, mm-hmm. and paint a picture for them that isn't filled with hope. Like, right. Or to yeah, even no say way. like, I don't want this child to ever go back with their parents. Like that is kind of like a... <clears throat> A place where I, think, I feel like in a moment you could probably feel that because you see and you, mm-hmm. you're experiencing yeah. this with this child, but that's, right. a, that's, that's not a, a good place to do. That's not necessarily a good mindset. It's to a have. protective, it's an instinct. It's a protective instinct. Yeah. But then again, challenge that because we know statistically most kids are coming into foster care, not because of physical abuse where you'd say like, okay, whoa, now hold the phone. No, thank you. Sure. Like, I have no patience for that, you know? Sure. Right. Um, not that there's not hope for sure. people to to deal with those issues. But we know statistically most kids are coming into care because of neglect. Mm-hmm. Neglect, okay. not abuse. So neglect could be medical neglect, educational neglect, failure to provide or protect a child. Um, and those can be, once we know the intimate details of somebody's story, um, it can be a lot easier to um, have empathy and relate to how they got to where they got. Yeah. Many of the parents that are having these um, systemic issues, like they're having the system come in and say, like, you need these skills, like we got to help you out, are grown up foster kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you, so in my mind, if I think of, like let's let's play this out. The teenager I referenced earlier, who was a parenting teen, um, 
her life could have gone two different ways. She could have moved on into her early adulthood, um, had more kids. Um, She had at one point a DV partner, had her kids removed. And then she'd be one of those people that a future foster mom could have come across of and had those eyes of like, this is your life. This is your future. And Mm -hmm. instead of looking at her like, no, this is a vulnerable teenage girl that was orphaned herself Mm, as a young girl and experienced so much pain and trauma and loss and never should have been put in these situations and these systems and without the support. And Mm -hmm. like, and to have these kids and have this be her only family Mm -hmm. and to have her only family taken from her Mm-hmm. when her brain isn't even fully formed you know right. like like to look at people like, as um really like stuck in that maslow's hier- hierarchy of needs like they're really stuck in a developmental stage that is much their body may be 27 but their brain is a 13 year old scared girl oh yeah um so really to look at people from where they're at developmentally with from their place of story can be really helpful emotionally on the other side to not kind of cast that um, judgment really. Yeah. Coming from a place of hope, I just want to share. um, We've also experienced seeing parents um, come through recovery and, and it can be years later. And maybe that doesn't mean the story is that their children stay with them because there could be a big gap there for a child where they really do need um, permanency on the scale of like, they, they can't wait 10 years, you know? Right. Um, but that can still be like, maybe that parent is involved and have some sort of contact eventually if it's healthy for the child. Um, and we have gotten to experience that with, with one of our, um, bio parents, um, with our 10 year old who has been able to really be a beautiful, like turnaround story. So, and she actually has many other kids and some of her other kids are, um, a part of her life um, more closely because they're different ages and she's a grandparent now and able to like babysit for her granddaughter. Mm. So there's like cool things we've gotten to see come full circle. It's awesome. Yeah. I think it's going with that mindset too. And that knowledge that like hurt people, hurt people. And that like, how could you expect someone that wasn't raised in a loving home to then create a loving home Mm -hmm. and being able to view um, families and people in that lens of kind of like, I, I don't know, I kind of feeling like asking your whys too. Mm-hmm. Like, why would that be? Why right. would that be? Why would that be? Well, it all comes down to, you know, hurt that was done to them. And so I do think it's like this like lens that you have to put on yeah. to be able to see them. And then I love the idea of just like instilling hope and encouragement in them. Like your role is to say, like, you can do this. You can turn this around. You can gain these skills. You yeah. can, you know, and hopefully. To be and maybe never, maybe nobody ever did that for them. Like maybe right. nobody even modeled for them that skill of showing up yeah. on time, putting right. something on the calendar and showing up. Right. Like, t- like telling them that you you're valuable enough that I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to be there for you every week on Sunday, Mm -hmm. this is where I'm going to show up. Like we're going to have lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you know, I just think it's not viewing people as lost causes. Like nobody, like you're saying, nobody, nobody, nobody's a lost cause. And, and that's, that is, um, I I can tell you, Caitlin, I, I would not be doing any better. Like I think about what if I was in this situation? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what if I was right? I, I wouldn't honestly that good on them. Like they're, I feel like they're doing better than I would be doing. Right. Like what if I was had to go through what some, like, I don't want to spell like people's specific stories, but like I have definitely thought through some of the times when I'm tempted to judge or I feel myself not attuned with someone and I'm like casting those thoughts of like disconnection. Mm-hmm. I just have to pull it back and rein it in and think about like, what, what if I was there? I don't, I don't think I'd be doing as good as they even are. So good on them for, for being perseverant mm-hmm. for maybe they, you know, curse somebody out. Cause they're so angry that that worker showed up and took their kid. But like, 
good on them for being attached to their kid and caring. Right. right. Maybe, maybe they cried through a visit and everybody said, oh, it's so inappropriate. They should have held it together. The kids shouldn't see them cry. But like, good on them for having that emotion. You know, like, seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they weren't completely flat affect and completely disconnected. You know, like, we have, right. we have to be more strengths-based mm-hmm. in the way that we're looking people who've experienced trauma and what they've been through. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. Um, so from your seat, like, I know this is a question. We probably asked this before because it, it's just – I feel like you – when when it comes to the work like foster care, I always hear we need to have foster care reform. There needs to be changes in the foster care system. So I, I mean, just curious to see your thoughts. Like, where is reform needed? Where are there changes needed? I mean, I know this is probably different from state to state and county to county, probably even. But I'm just curious mm-hmm. your thoughts of like just like a quick rundown of like where you're like okay, here's a huge gap. Here's this. Maybe we don't have enough time. I don't know. But you <laughs> yeah. tell me. Yeah, I would say in culture. Yeah, we need to reform in culture. So we can point to systemic change all day long. Okay. And yes, policies need tweaking. Mm -hmm. And if your county votes for family court judges, by all means, be informed, do that research, ask the local foster families in your area, who are you going to vote for? Because they're going to tell you and they're going to give you some good reasons because they know. Um, So be informed. But a system built to address depressive family systems that is funded by tax dollars can only function. It can only function as a depressive system. Mm. So that's not smack talk for our counties. That's not smack talk for our county workers. Um, We, I know in Monroe County having met as a board last night, like we have so many dedicated and fantastic workers here in our County, people who have literally spent their whole lives making not good money, not good benefits, and people are not roses and cream to them every day. And they've just spent their whole life serving kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is not about like dissing them at all. This is the recipe. Like this, this simply is, these are the ingredients for the recipe that we've chosen as a society. This is a reflection of our culture. So years ago, we didn't have foster care. That wasn't any better. I'm just saying that at that point in culture, we handled it differently. Yeah, right. So you could you could say you know it was the nun's job to care for the orphans. The church in America has defaulted to letting our counties protect and care for our kids. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And we you know we talk about some ideas for reformed responses to struggling family systems again in, in episode nine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many ways that anyone who has a heart can impact kids and care and we get to be creative about how we do it. Right. Um, but a big shift for us as a culture would be ownership. So instead of me or my church saying that's what the county's for, there's literally people we pay to take care of that. It's not my problem. Counties and communities could in some places, um, counties are already doing this um, in, in little ways, coming alongside county workers to resource them with tangible goods, volunteer time, encouragement. Yeah. Um, like even the public recognition of that hard work that yeah. those people who get, who spend their whole lives working for the county, like they they don't get public recognition. Right. If anything, they get dissed right. in the news for one thing happens with this depressive right. system. One thing goes awry and ends in the news and, and everybody gets dissed, right? Yeah. There's no like mm-hmm. social worker appreciation day. Um, <laughs> no. So just the encouragement from our culture and our communities. Um, so and even coming around individual foster families. So no, no one family is enough to pour into a child's life alone. So that's, that's true of neurotypical kids of not even like traumatized kids, normative family experiences, not even adaptive situations. No one family is enough to raise kids and take care of everything a kid needs. Like it takes a village. It really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it is exponentially more true 
that it takes that village of community to come around a foster family to help them thrive because the needs just don't end. They're, mm-hmm. they're so much bigger and deeper and longer and more complicated and under-resourced, right? Um, so some little ways that we come around families, um, sparking hope by cleaning somebody's house bringing a welcome bag of essentials to a family before they've had time to run to the store. Like maybe they got a baby and you're going to drop off the diapers <laughs> or, yeah. or even like here's some pajamas that fit that kid for their first night. Yeah. Right. Um, and here's like special soap that's not going to make their eyes water. And like here you can give them a bath on their first, like doing something to like help them welcome a kid into their home, a hot meal, coffee, so where, those where do you find, like, as somebody who would want to do this, where would you find this? Like, do, is there, not that there's necessarily a directory, but there's got to be somewhere you could go and say, like, listen, I, I have time. I, I want to volunteer to help support this local system in, in say, in yeah. Broward County where I live. Is yeah. there an office? Is there, like, where is a generic place that somebody could say, this is where I'm going to start to, because I do. I would well, I, I would take diapers to somebody. I could do yeah. that. No problem. Yeah. You know? I would say, Caitlin, um, the best way, because we're talking about shifting culture, it's yeah. not about a checklist. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to give you a checklist. I just gave you some ideas to get creative. Sure. Um, but I would say mm-hmm. build a relationship. Mm-hmm. If you don't know anybody in your life personally, in your circle who's fostering, maybe change that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, you, maybe you make yeah. a friend or maybe you have a friend of a friend who is fostering and you're checking in with that person. And you're not saying like, what do you need? But like, you're getting to know them personally and you see their needs personally and you just take care of it. Because every time anybody has ever asked me when things got hard, like, what do you need? I want to do something for you. Oh, do you need dinner? Like, I'm always going to say, no, I'm good. You know? Okay. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. And, And I think it's really humbling for foster families. Like you were sharing Mallory like minutes ago about that fear of, am I going to be enough? And every foster family feels that way. And so when you're in the middle of the thick of it, and you're not enough, having somebody ask you if you need something, and you have to verbally affirm the truth that you're not enough, that's so hard to acknowledge like, oh, I actually do need help. Mm -hmm, So instead of making somebody out loud, humble themselves to you, just help them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like just get to know them, see their needs and address them Just do it in a tangible um, way or babysit. Oh, that's a big one. Babysit so that they can get away from the, the situations that they're in that can be somewhat toxic at first because it's a lot and take like a little mental health break, even to have an adult conversation yeah. with their partner for like two hours and have dinner or mm-hmm. eat a hot meal without somebody, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big, huge one. Um, but like, all of those things have to happen, I think, in a in a personal way. So, Caitlin, like, yeah. befriend somebody. Yeah. No, I, I hear yeah. you. That's that is that is actually way to do it. You know, you don't know what people need truly until you're in community with them and doing life yeah. with them and seeing. And I think just I don't want to be critical of people who've like tried to put things in place, but I think when you don't know someone personally, you don't you don't know what they really need. And sometimes yeah. we try to do a lot of things and it's not really helpful <laughs> and it can be right. a big waste of time. Like, um, I, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but I've, I've seen some things out there that people do in the name of like, Oh, we're going to do this for these faster kids. But like, do they really want that random hand painted duffel? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my kids, my kids don't, they want to mm-hmm. go to the store and pick it out themselves. Yeah. Right. They want to feel like, they got something brand new with the name tag on it that they have ownership of. Mm-hmm. And they definitely don't want somebody else to have drawn on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Again, I'm not trying to be uh, critical of what other people are doing because I think it, it everything has a place. But in order to not just feel good about, hey, I helped, but then not actually help because we do that a lot mm-hmm. as a society mm-hmm. to like actually get to know somebody and to see those yeah. needs um, maybe be that regular babysitter that builds that relationship that you're like the aunt uncle figure. Maybe you don't have to go through licensing and do all of that, but maybe you just say, yeah, I can, I can do a background check and I could show up every Monday night for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge. That it's is huge. Huge. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. 
Yeah. No, those, I mean, that's, that's all, I mean, that's all very just even humbling for me sitting here right now because, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's very few foster families. I don't even think I know anybody in my own county. All, all my friends who are foster parents don't even, aren't in my everyday circle. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There, there are those who I know in different states. Um, so that, that is actually really humbling and kind of like an action step that, you know, is yeah. convicting. So no, yeah. I love that. So that is, those are all great re- ways. I know we talked yeah. about that before in the other episode, just kind of, if you aren't ready to take that step yourself and be a foster parent, you don't necessarily have to in order to support, in order to be a part of it, in order to make a difference. Um, Right. So, yeah, I think those are all, all, all great things. So, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's lots of ways to support, but also remembering that by coming alongside a family and helping them with the huge gamut of needs, being that village, you are making a bigger impact than you can even realize because you are actually helping stabilize a placement. And we know when we do that, kids, when kids are not moving, there's so much more that's happening emotionally, neurologically, they're able to bond. Um, Families can then like become seasoned foster homes. And if we don't overwhelm our foster parents, they don't have to close their license after their first placement or get burned out or have a bad experience because they couldn't, you know, they just drowned. Um, That they get the added benefit of becoming seasoned foster parents. And those are the ones that many of our counties actually need that they're short of, of like, hey, there's this more complicated teenager who has these bigger needs that you have to be more experienced to handle. Like we're not growing our communities in the direction of like sustainable foster parenting almost. Yeah. We're never going to meet those bigger needs. Um, Mm. And that is like a snowball of issues for our our community for the rest of that child's life. We, We touched on that again before, but like our homeless population and mental health needs in our community and all of those bigger things that have to be addressed um, and are so much easier to address when kids are younger and Mm -hmm. um, we can resource them differently. Mm -hmm. So not everybody can foster, but everybody can find a way to support a foster family. I really believe that. Yes. Everybody hear that. Yeah. Woo, preaching. Um, <laughs> no, all of this stuff was so good. And honestly, like, I'm, I'm just so proud to be your friend. Like, all, you're, you're really doing awesome things. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that you're sharing your wisdom with not just us tonight, but all of our listeners are going to be able to kind of take this. And hopefully it's an app. It's like convicting to them too to take some sort of action mm-hmm. step in this community because, um, I mean, Lord knows we need it. You know, it, it mm-hmm. is, it's true. So, um, before we wrap, we like to end every episode with a fun Disney question. So <laughs> I'm going to toss it to Mel. So, mm-hmm. Kay, I know that you recently had a Disney trip with your family. So this is just kind of a fun Disney parks trip question. So right now, if you were in Disney parks, would you rather have a Dole Whip in Magic Kingdom or have a Mickey pretzel in Epcot? Probably a Dole Whip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A That's Dole Whip. it. Is it because Magic Kingdom or is it because the Dole Whip? Oh, because the Dole Whip. Honestly, I'd rather have those, um, the spiced nuts at Club 33 with KJ. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. The spice nuts; those are from Hollywood Studios. Yeah, no, they were not. They're, they were the OG they're from original Ep- Epcot. They're not there anymore. Epcot. Yeah, oh, they're yes, not there. Right. Nope. They like to change things up, but what can that's you do? Sad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh well, you can. I don't think those are the same kind of spiced nuts because I was thinking of the ones they're like spicy candy coated almonds in no. Hollywood Studios. No. no, nope. The you original. can't get that's that was not the same. No, that was like a little mm. mix. That was yeah, that was really good. That's awesome. Well, no, I love a good Dole Whip. <laughs> so that's that's a great answer. Um, well, thank you once again, Kay, for joining us. This was such a fun conversation, an informative conversation, might I say. Um, so I'm just so thankful for you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bearing with like. I feel like sometimes talking about foster care can feel like heavy and mm. it can feel like a downer. Um, but I, I really, I enjoy talking about it. I think that the more we talk about it, the more we can shift that culture. So thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We're so grateful for you. And thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of the Funding Love Podcast. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Funding Love Podcast. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit, which means that people like you can help make a lasting impact in the lives of adoptive families and birth moms. At Funding Love, we create post-adoption experiences that strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. And when you partner with us, whether that is giving online, signing up to become a monthly donor, or simply buying merchandise from our shop, you are Funding Love.